On with a Rye. Support for today's episode of On One comes from Form. You're more than a hair type. You're unique and so is your lifestyle. And now your hair regimen is too. Designed for all hair textures, the Form Collection minimizes guesswork and makes hair care simpler by offering personal regimens specifically designed for individual hair needs. Get 10% off your entire order when you visit formbeauty.com backslash Angela. That's F-O-R-M beauty.com backslash Angela. Today's episode of On One is also brought to you by Talkspace. Talkspace is the online therapy company that believes therapy should be affordable, confidential, and convenient. Enjoy unlimited messaging to your licensed therapist for as little as $32 a week. Just go to Talkspace.com backslash Angela to get $30 off your first month or download the Talkspace app and use coupon code Angela. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. I say I'm just my father's daughter like Christ my body beating but I refuse to holler won't give up the satisfaction but I let the tears flow steady praying for him father forgive him they don't know that the revolution will not be televised Twitter, Facebook excuse me as I scrutinize out of the mouth of this babe comes perfected praise as if you needed a sign we in the last days and so the revolution starts with a stroke of the pen not my Matthew Mark and all of them now I'm at the plate batting clean up and I'ma keep giving it to him until they beat me up my people are dying the weapons are falling a spoon heart disease genetically modified fools radio plate poison so the people are sick went to court and still I couldn't find justice yeah we're all my children of the light born in the city but steady striving to do right my people are warriors all we know is the fight praying to see God and everything I right here What's up, everybody? Welcome to On One with Angela Rye, where we get it in. So I've been hacked. Um, like, who is this talking? My voice sounds hella thick. I have strep, thro- <laughs> strep throat. And this right here is for the birds. Uh, so my podcast was posted a little late because I'm running around here with no energy and clearly a strep throat diagnosis. But the people still need the good word. And so, ta-da, here I am late but here uh so today this the good word is exactly what you're gonna get um i'm elated that this week's conversate segment is with my daddy eddie ride jr we have so many good conversations and this week you will get to hear just how our conversations go and uh, let me just apologize in advance for the vast number of questions that go unanswered because you have two people with undiagnosed add in the building having a conversation (laughs) So clearly I'm my father's daughter. So let's go ahead and get started first uh, with the bad news. It's time for the political lowlife. This week's political lowlifes, yes, it's plural this time, are the Trump administration and some, not all, but some Asian Americans who decided to buy into the administration's bogus defense on attacking affirmative action programs that would make the admissions process more equitable to for students of color. There are some folks who argue that college admissions should be rooted in meritocracy, where you get in strictly off the merit of your application. 
Well, my pushback, how do you then explain legacy admissions? How do you explain that fat check Jared Kushner's father wrote to Harvard, which pretty much guaranteed mediocre student Jared a diploma from the prestigious institution? So are we to believe that meritocracy is the path forward unless you've been somehow hit by affluenza, at which point the rules don't apply? I ain't with that. I need for many of them Asian Americans who are perhaps newer immigrants and haven't coalesced with other communities of color around issues in the struggle to understand that we really are all in this together. Understand that the hard fought battles of the civil rights era were not just designed to benefit black folks, but rather you too. And you have benefited. I need you all to know that this is a divide and conquer strategy designed to benefit white folks, not you player. We've already seen this play out in the University of California system post Proposition 209, which struck down affirmative action policies in the state of California. When they think there are too many Asian student admittees, they will come for you too. do not fall for the okie doke. You know, we can't end there. So let's go ahead and flip the script to something a little more positive with the political highlight. There are 2.3 million people incarcerated today in the United States. Glenn E. Martin, who's a criminal justice reform activist, is working diligently to cut the prison population in half by 2030. Glenn relies on his own experience as a formerly incarcerated person to push for much needed reform. He should be commended for ramping up his campaign and leaning on hope in the face of unprecedented challenges from the Trump administration. Here he is in his own words. This is an excerpt from Glenn's interview on WNYC's The Takeaway with John Hockenberry. I've decided to take whatever privilege and access I've amassed and invest in the leadership of other people like me. Because I just think that not only do people who've been through the system utilize their experiential knowledge to help other people understand how policy lands and how it's landed for them and their families and their communities, But these folks have ideas. I mean, people closest to the problem are closest to the solution, but furthest from power and resources. And if we recognize that someone who's been harmed by a system of oppression has done much more thinking about what would have worked for them, more so than a person who's never been in the system, then we suddenly uh, put value in what people bring to the table, both professionally and in terms of their ability to help us connect to the issue on a human level. How do you figure out which direction this country is moving in? I mean, on, on, on the one hand, you describe some of these changes that have taken place. But on the other hand, you've got Jeff Sessions from Alabama who wants to crack down on criminal activity, who uses the language of the 1970s in some ways. You've got a Tennessee judge who offered prisoners a chance to reduce their sentences uh, by uh, sterilizing and, you know, and, and using birth control implants as an incentive I mean, that that's, you know, going back to the 1800s. So let's be clear. All of this stuff has existed, particularly for poor people of color. Uh, we've been yelling about this forever. This has all been a part of our reality. And yet the onion's been peeled back. Uh, you can't close Pandora's box at this point. And I actually see value in that. What is happening now is the demystification of the very things that uh, people have been suggesting have been happening for decades, if not centuries in this country. And so where does my hope come from? My hope comes from uh, the inability for anyone who has common sense, who can be reasonable to uh, deny that this is uh, systemic, 
that it is a perfect example of how systems of oppression are durable and they reinvent themselves right under your nose. And what we have today is just the newest version of what we had yesterday. And so my hope is that more and more people of privilege who see this, who come to believe in it, who decide that they don't want to live in America that has this set of values and who want to do something about it, will actually add their voices, add their labor, add their resources, and add their privilege to the effort to move towards a more fair, humane criminal justice system, but also more broadly, a more fair and humane country where we actually live up to the inscription on our Statue of Liberty and in our Constitution and elsewhere. We're all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors, all we know is to fight. Pray, they see God and everything I write. Yeah, yeah. We're all children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors, all we know is to fight. Pray, they see God and everything I write. I'm tired yeah. of dumb and the hot new fam Shut off the radio Thinking long live the underground Long live the dress The tattoos and gold chains We see the agenda But we refuse to change When I come like this They can't do nothing with me Only one spitting the real How you ain't rocking with me Your favorite star Selling they souls to devils You don't give a damn You just love the face of trouble Now I'm accused of looking for trouble In this Nicki Minaj world I need Claire Huxtable Yeah I'm not televised I must be the revolution I'm not publicized I must have a solution. My rhymes is right, all I'm lacking is execution. I love cash, some marketing, and some distribution. I ain't no racist, but how are white men playing Moses? <laughs> so much for progress. All right, everyone, this segment um, on On One with Angela Rye is called Conversate. It's not a real word, Dad, but it's a thing. Um, I'm so glad to have my dad with me here today, um, Eddie Rye Jr. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you very much. And your dad is glad to be here. Yeah, because you have harassed me about why you have not been on the podcast yet. So I'm glad there. this is only the fourth one, right? Yes, it's the All fourth right. one. So I've been counting. Yeah. But have you listened to them? You're really right on the money. I love Queen Maxine. OK, which one? Which what are the other well, ones? Let's, let's go ahead and just interview me. Okay, so we're going to talk about you first, and then there are, um, just like we normally do on Periscope or on Instagram Live or Facebook Live, there are a lot of questions. People sent in over a 100 questions to ask you. We're not going to answer all of them, because some of them are crazy. But we're going to answer some of those. But I first want, um, because you're going to be a regular on the podcast, I want people to understand a little bit bit about you um, and how you were raised and your background. So um, I would love to start with um, where you're from originally. I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, in Charity Hospital on the colored side in 1942. Mm -hmm. And And I went to grade school. As a matter of fact, they had me going to schools when I was three years old. I went to the seven-day Adventist school. I went to Free Methodist school. Then I went to West Shreveport Elementary School. They thought you were going to be a preacher, right? Uh, yeah, some people did. Granny did. Uh, well, they. I was in church all the time in those days. Uh, and then... Uh, were you cussing in church, Dad? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to check. No, absolutely not. Uh-uh. Okay. I was just praising the Lord. I was not cussing. You was praising the Lord at three. That's right. You went by yourself? I could walk all over the neighborhood by myself when I was two or three years old, as long as I didn't cross the street. Okay. And what? (laughs) That's crazy. Okay. So tell me about your parents. Tell me about Myrtle and Eddie Rye Sr. Uh, 
uh, Myrtle and Eddie Rice Sr. Eddie Rice Sr. was a Pullman porter and a member of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, the only union a black man could belong to back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And uh, in 1952, uh, Eddie Rice Sr. was uh, selected by A. Philip Randolph to be the Northwest organizer for the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. And that's how we got to Seattle. And in those days, the meetings were real quiet, down low, real quiet. They didn't want to attract any attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father uh, also, when, he, when the people started flying in the 60s, he began work for the city. And then he also did janitorial work. And uh, one of our customers was Rockland Costume Shop, uh, where his uh, Myrtle Ride was making costumes for the Seattle Opera and the ballet. Mm-hmm. She was she was pretty tough. And later on, she became went to work for Boeing and became a shop steward for the International Association of uh, the Machinists. Uh, she was a inspector. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father uh, went to work for the city of Seattle, and I had the janitorial contract at the same time. And Jerry, Jackie, and I, my two brothers, we would accompany him on the janitorial duties at night. So uh, our house uh, growing up uh, looked like the international, uh, looked like the United Nations. Uh, no hatred, no bigotry was allowed. Uh, you would find people of all ethnic groups at Myrtle and Eddie Rice Sr.'s house on 30th Avenue. Okay, so you talked about their advocacy in two different unions. Right. Um, the Aero Machinist and um, Gramps was a part of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Even though um, Gramps later kind of frowned on your advocacy work because of some experiences that he had. I want you to talk about those. But it sounds like you fell right into their footsteps and you just kind of evolved in your advocacy. Do you think that's accurate? I don't know. I think Eddie Rossinia thought I was a little far out there on occasion. Why? Why did he think Uh, that? Because he was listed in the phone book and... um, he would get calls from a lot of bigots. Um, a matter of fact, some people claim to be the Klan, mm-hmm. and uh, especially during the time of uh, when we were changing the name of of Empire Way to honor Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. The street that exists now uh, runs through Seattle, uh, SeaTac, and Tuckwilla, uh, the two adjacent little small towns to Seattle, and uh, he would get all kind of uh, all kind of calls. He, Why don't you have your no- your name and your number in the phone book? <laughs> So they called him and then, you know, my brothers were very protective, but I don't really think anybody was on. It was, they lived in a cul-de-sac and the people right next day, the door were with the, with the Jewish defense league. So I really don't think that anybody was going to come to that neighborhood and do anything. You never know. People are crazy. That's true. And we got some stuff with crazy people too. So dad, before we go into the advocacy piece, one of the things that comes up a lot, um, about Seattle's like who's from here some of the famous people from here and a lot of my friends are all surprised when they like find out you knew Jimi Hendrix yes and you were to do with the big fro that was a pallbearer with the white jacket on that's right and as a matter of fact I put a picture of uh it's called the the bullpen now mm-hmm. but it was a Spanish castle on 200th and International Boulevard, Highway 99 in Seattle. Now, if you drive past there, Jimi Hendrix tune, Spaniel, Spanish Castle Magic, he's talking about that venue. It still sits. The name has changed, but I took a picture and put it on my Facebook page. And then I checked with some folks like Terry Johnson, who played music with Jimi Hendrix. He said, that's what he's talking about because he played there. Wow. 
Uh, Quincy Jones is from uh, mm-hmm. Quincy Jones, a Seattleite. And Judge Jones. And Judge Richard Jones, federal Judge Jones, his yeah. younger brother. Yeah, so we have, um, you know, we had uh, city council members and county council members. Bruce Hill is the president of Seattle City Council. Uh, uh, Larry Gossett, who is married to your cousin, is on the King County Council. And we have, uh, matter of fact, I think we got three black folks in the state legislature. That That is not where we were going with that question, but I appreciate your additional uh, commentary. So I now want to switch gears um, back to the advocacy piece. How do you feel like, or what called you into advocacy and resistance movements and protests? How did you get into doing that work? Well, it's a matter if you, uh, if a quiet, uh, closed mouth don't get fed. Mm -hmm. And if you see injustice, I think you just have to challenge it. And what we do is rather than just looking at on the surface, we ask uh, local governments and other folks for numbers. And we're specifically interested in participation by descendants of United States slaves. Mm-hmm. We have nothing against and I have nothing against immigrants, refugees or other people of color. You or other, fought for these. these oh, absolutely. No, oh, absolutely. No, I'm a staunch advocate for them. I mean, uh, I've been the speaker the past several years at the Immigration Rights March on May 1st with El Comité. Uh, I'm one of the actually one of the people that occupied Beacon Hill School. It became El Centro de la Raza in 1972. I've received uh, awards from the Japanese American Citizens League, the Sam Soji Unsung Hero Award. So I work with all these different groups. As of late, uh, I will be representing uh, East Side for Hire, which is uh, about 2,000 uh, Somali and African cab drivers who have a, a contract. We're trying to get that uh, solidified at the Port of Seattle. So uh, I work with a lot of folks, but what really got me started is when you uh, start looking at the numbers, you have to look at the numbers. And in Washington State in 1998, uh, Initiative 200 was passed, which was called uh, the Civil Rights Act. Of- but Dad, you were doing advocacy work way before 1998. Oh, absolutely. So I think you should give that background. Like, where, how did you really get into it? Like, what was your first... The first thing you remember, the first protest you went to or the first boycott you participated The very in. first protest I was in, I was about 12 years old. Really? And Right. Wow. In 1954, when we had a march led by the NAACP, hmm. uh, I think Bishop John Hurst Adams and others to protest blacks not being able to uh, have sales clerk jobs uh, in downtown stores in Seattle. So why were you there at because, 12? At, because it was just something that I was interested in doing. Wow. And uh, so I went I went on the march. And then and the thing that really turned, I think, everything around is that when I was 18, mm-hmm. uh, I, had, I went and then the college for a year in California, Compton JC, came back and this uh, friend of mine, Archie Herring, who was a officer in the Washington National Guard, he's now deceased, but he said, you know, Eddie, you're so young, if you're 18 and a half, if you join, you don't have to go to reserve meetings for like three years and six months actually duty. So I did, and I went down to Fort Ord, and I was uh, the, I, uh, I won a performance uh, trophy for being the best soldier in the company. And then that November of 1960, we went down to Fort Sam Houston, had to land in San Antonio, getting a drink of water. A white man said, hey, boy, 
you drink out the white man's water fountain. And I here I am with a military fatigues with a military uniform on. So I started smart after that. And then there were only three blacks in our company at Fort in, in Fort at Fort Sam Houston. And uh, we got ready to go have a Christmas break. And uh, one of the white guys and the black guy in the same reserve unit in Kansas City, Missouri. And I was going to visit my aunt, uh, my your aunt your. Jessie. Aunt Gussie to spend Christmas and New Year's with them and I got ready to get in the front seat with Treat and Norm uh, Sneed said well you can't ride in the front seat with a white man until we get to Kansas so I, we had to get in the back seat he'd have to go in the hotel and get stuff and then about three weeks after that and when we got back after the uh, 1961 I went to the movies on Sunday afternoon with my dress, dress greens representing the United States of America Yeah, and uh, went to the window dropped my money down the woman said boy you got to go to the color window and I said I'm not going to a colored window I'm in the United States Army I'm learning how to defend our country and so about 10 minutes after that not the MPs but the APs from Lackland Air Force Base gave me a ride back to the base AP Air Force Police oh gave me a ride back and they called the company commander and uh, he left his family and said uh, I thought you were from, you were born in Louisville. I said, yeah. He said, well, nothing's changed down here. I said, well, okay, fine. I, you know, I go ahead and. But after that, they kept trying to get me to office, go to Officers Canada School. Mm-hmm. Officers Canada School, you'd have to sign up for two or three years. They pay you way through college, but that was in Georgia. I said, hell no, no, no. Ain't no way in the world. I'm going to voluntarily come back to segregation and disrespect just so I can serve this country. And historically, you go back and see, you know, up until 48, we had segregated, and there's still some segregated units. But that was really the awakening for me Mm -hmm. right then at a very early age. And then when I came back, I started talking to certain folks about doing things. When you came back to Seattle. Came back to Seattle, right. And so, you know, I joined the NAACP, started attending things. And the other thing happened is that um, uh, when Dr. King got killed, I was working for Boeing and personnel up in Everett, and two white guys came in and said, uh, boy, you need to get your hair cut. And they're looking for jobs, and I'm giving out jobs, right? And then uh, the Would supervisor- you, Did you have an afro? Yeah, it was okay. wrong. So anyway, so the supervisor told me to go take a coffee break. I come back, he's giving both these, these racist jobs. So I said, okay, that's the way it's going to be. My next move was go to the Seattle King County Economic Opportunity Board as a personnel officer. And then I left there and went to the Central Area Motivation Program, the one of the oldest anti-poverty agencies was in the country. And you, that's where is that where you were working with the Black Panthers on the free breakfast program? As a matter of fact, I was going to get to that. Oh. As the director of the Educational Talent Search Program, there was an elderly white lady named Gloria Martin who was a member of the Radical Women. And she went around and she said, Eddie, I think everybody needs to contribute to the Black Panther uh, program, uh, free breakfast program. And I said, I think you're right. So pretty soon it started with the talent search program. But after a while, everybody in camp started making contributions. And then I was authorized to write some checks and I wrote checks to them. Mm-hmm. The other thing that happened with Gloria Martin, those guys, when the FBI was going around vamping on the Panthers, they killed Mark Clark, Fred Hampton. They were in Seattle. Getting ready to vamp on on and Gloria Martin and the radical women, mostly white, surrounded the Panther headquarters and stopped them from doing anything. And Mayor Wes Solomon called J. Edgar Hogg, I mean J. Edgar Hoover, and told him to back off. And they did. Wow. So we had a lot of experience. Also with same thing with trying to uh impact 
jobs for black folks with the United Construction Workers Association. Uh, from 68 to about 74, we must close down 20 jobs, including uh, the Seattle International Airport. Don't forget, this week's episode is brought to you by Form. Say hello to Form, a premium hair care collection dedicated to making every hair journey simpler and better. It's the first women's prestige hair care collection to celebrate beauty in all its forms. The Form Collection will help make your hair care experience personal by offering uncompromising products specifically designed for individual hair needs. For women of all hair textures, and they do mean all, the Form Collection is unique, versatile, and minimizes guesswork. Form was inspired by your own hair care journey and delivers uncompromising performance without sacrificing the health of your hair. Just like their big brother brand, Bevel, the folks at Form were tired of seeing the women they love struggle to find hair care that was personal, effective, and high quality. You can get 10% off your entire order when you visit formbeauty.com backslash Angela. The discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's F-O-R-M beauty.com backslash Angela. Get personal with Form. Okay, so Dad, we were talking about um, some of the ways in which you began to engage in advocacy work, um, some of your efforts with the Black Panthers. And one thing I wanted to ask you about that I know is harder for you to talk about is what happened with your friends. You had some friends who were um, killed in an accident who you were engaged in activism work with. Uh, That was the director of the Central Seattle Community Council Federation, uh, Daryl Smith and Markham Bird, another staff member. And I was chair of uh, the housing committee for that organization. And shortly after the first redlining report was released, how Seattle was redlined and no loans were coming to the black community. I was supposed to join these guys. And uh, I instead went to see, uh, I think it was Cleveland play, Cleveland Garfield play at Heck Edmondson Pavilion. And the next morning I found out that uh, they had both died in a car accident and they said they got rid of the car so quick. They didn't really get a chance to examine it. So uh, uh, one of those unfortunate things, that was like in uh, 1973. And uh, then I was director of the Community Action Agency, the Central Area Motivation Program, had about 200 people working, counting the delegate agencies, uh, cultural events. Uh, it was one of the <clears throat> oldest uh, anti-poverty agencies in the in the in the country. Now, uh, just like black removal has occurred, that agency does not exist. Uh, like uh, when um, uh, Joel uh, Anderson was here from BuzzFeed News, we wrote up and down Martin Luther King. And he was kind of surprised to see not very many black folks on the Martin Luther King Jr. way. So out of all the major cities, we must have the whitest Martin Luther King. I think it's changing everywhere thanks to gentrification. Um, Gentrification or economic apartheid? Well, both. There you go. Gentrification (laughs) isn't, I don't see it as a positive thing. I see it as a way of removing people from the one, you know, kind of stable piece of wealth they've had um, in communities all over the country. And so, Dad, one of the other things that, was fascinating to me. As you know, you have boxes upon boxes of paperwork and materials from programs you participate in or protests or boycotts or even some more targeted advocacy from a business standpoint. And I was recently going through all of your papers in the garage. He is a pack rat, everyone. Um, And actually, I'm really thankful that you're a pack rat because I learned quite a bit. And one of the things that was fascinating to me as your daughter is how much of the same type of work, maybe not the same methods, but the same type of work 
that I've done that's very similar to what you you did. I didn't do any redlining work or anything specific to housing policy, but you did everything from small business contracting work. And you talked about the numbers earlier to ensure that people had their appropriate access to the pie. You did work within the apartheid space. And while I didn't do any work with the apartheid per se, I did write my term paper on it in high school. I still want to know what happened to Marjorie Prince. We got to find Marjorie. Oh, Marjorie and Gary are still around. As a matter of fact, the May 1st immigration rights I was rights trying march. to find her so we can invite her to your surprise party yeah, in June. Well, I her and Gary her. were right at that march. So she, they are both still active. That's amazing. But my, my only point is that so much of what is asked and we are going to go through the questions from from people but so much of what is asked is like how did I you know did you know if I was going to follow in your footsteps in some way and I think it was like eerie to me and cool to be following your footsteps in one way and in another way to me I felt like it was devastating that we have to do some of the same kind of work that you've been doing for 40 and 50 years you know, like even though it's cool that I'm like, oh, I can follow my dad's footsteps. I wish that we were more advanced. I wonder if you like have the same frustration. Like, why aren't we further along? Well, you know, the thing about it is if you understand racism in this country, it's like uh, the T-shirts you have. We built this joint for free. And uh, so, you know, right now, all of our rights are under attack by the attorney general. And, uh, you know, we have the uh, the 54th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington coming up August 28th. And we're going to do something in Seattle because all the rights we gained through the civil rights struggle, all the programs that Ronald Reagan wiped out that were helping uplift black folks in the, in this country. Uh, we're going to have to rededicate, recommit ourselves. I know younger folks have a different perspective, but all they got to do is look and see what's really happening. Voter suppression. Uh, economic apartheid. Yeah. Uh, at one time, at uh, when I directed the educational talent search program at camp, we recruited thousands of students, and most of them were black to take advantage of higher educational opportunities. But now Donald Trump wants to sue schools for, that have affirmative action policies for reverse discrimination. So that's what I'm saying. Like, do you think that? You know, when you see the type of work that you engaged in and the type of progress that you made with so many people, is it frustrating to you that we're basically going backwards? Actually, people are really just saying who they really are. We live in a country I don't like where racism, do I don't either, but I'm just saying that's why we have to rededicate and recommit ourselves to the struggle. Yeah. It's what like, is this, we, what does this struggle mean? To that, you? How that, do you the, define to Right it? now, I'm saying is that we have a lot of, um, like Renton, Washington, for example, is a majority minority city. You never see a black person on those uh, maintenance crews. They have one black firefighter, 150. They can tell us what black folks they do business with. So, what we got to start that's doing. That's a national problem. Exactly. What we got to start doing, though, is we got to start showing up and have a hundred people at the city county, city council meetings, the county council meeting, the school board meetings. We've got to demand access to the information. Who are you doing business with? Who's getting the jobs? What how quality of education are our kids receiving? But we have got to show up again. Now, when some of the police kill somebody, we'll show up. 
But we got to show up at these uh, city council meetings. And the thing about it is that, you know, at one time we had to act physically be there. It's always good to have that black presence. And I think churches can take turns sending 15 or 20 people to a city council meeting all across the country. Because I think it's important to note that we have some people who listen to the podcast that aren't necessarily politically active but want to be. What is the importance of going to a city council meeting? The importance of seeing uh, how they're spending your money, Mm -hmm. seeing how they're treating your people. And if uh, nobody says anything, nothing will change. Yeah. There was a moment once, um, I think I was in high school when we were on the elevator and there was a white man that got on the elevator and told you, uh, he said, Eddie Rye, if it isn't a perpetual troublemaker. And I got mad. And then you had to tell me that he was your friend. Oh, you should hear what the other ones call me. What did they call you? <laughs> no, that was uh, 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 Brian from KOMO Television. He was down there when I did Action Inner City. I hosted a television program from 69 to about 72 called Action Inner City. And it was a help uh, through Oscar Productions, funded by Model Cities. It was exposed young inner city kids to actually being trained to go to work as cameramen, as floor directors, and uh, some people, actually, uh, Steve Poole, the KOMO, ABC uh, weatherman, was uh, one of the hosts of Action Inner City, so it provided opportunities. Yeah, when you think, so just listening to you say that, you talk about hosting this television program, and you were still trying to create opportunities for people of color to be employed, to gain new skill sets and jobs. What is the pull? Do you just go into spaces thinking this is my obligation to do this? If I don't do it, nobody will or they're not going to have the opportunity. What is the pull in you that says that you need to do that wherever you go? The pull is, is that if you see something wrong, you should see something, say something. You don't you just can't let racism slide. Yeah. You can't let it slide. You have to demand that we descendants of United States slaves participate in the economic pie. Uh, right now, I've talked to members of the Congressional Black Caucus about having a federal designation on all the public money to come out for housing, health, contracts, everything else, including education for descendants of United States slaves. And right now, we know that George Washington University in D.C. sold 272 slaves to start that university. Now they have an admissions policy for descendants of United States slaves. So um, we're going to switch gears to questions because you have a bunch of them. Um, Just on Instagram alone now, you have uh, over 83 questions. And um, we're not going to get to all these, but I'm going to ask questions from for or to you from uh, Instagram, Twitter and um, Facebook. And so one of the questions, one of the first questions that was asked that I really, really appreciate is um, someone named Marie Bell says she lives in Atlanta and as a former employee of Champ Head Start. How do you compare opportunities for black people now versus the 70s? The, our, our opportunities have greatly diminished, greatly, greatly diminished. And as I said, once again, uh, we have got to come back together. A lot of things in uh, Seattle, for example, uh, well, the central area was predominantly black. I could go and get 200 people, 200 brothers and sisters 
in a couple of hours to go show up somewhere. Now they have been relocated to Renton to Kent, the South King County. And as a matter of fact, I want people to know that we are in Martin Luther King Jr. County, mm-hmm. the only municipality in the country named for Martin Luther King. And you and said maybe very, the whitest. And a very few black folk here, mm-hmm. 2,500 square miles, 2.6 million people. That answered this lady's question right about ahead. these black people opportunities from now versus the 70s. There were a lot more opportunities then because that was right after the civil rights movement. And the fact is, is we haven't seen, you know, that many people in the streets in a long time. What is the next phase of the civil rights movement then? How do you protect I think the if if, uh, if uh, Reverend Dr. King had uh, social media, I think we'd be free today. But right now. We've got to engage people. People can sit at home and send an email and complain about black people not getting jobs. They can send emails to the elected officials. They can let elected officials know if you don't cut us in, we're going to cut you out. This question I really like, too. It says um, this is from Anika. She says, what are three things that if done within the black community could create positive economic change? The three things, one would be if we got our existing share of the contracts and jobs that our tax dollars pay for in the public arena, and if we got the contracts and jobs from the private sector where our consumer dollars uh, gets uh, make their bottom line, that's what start. The other thing is we have to ensure that there are policies in place and, uh, ap- and make sure there is compliance with those policies because we have a lot of policies, but we don't have any, we don't have anyone that is out there actually monitoring what is really happening. We've complained uh, to the the former Secretary of Transportation and a whole bunch of other folks about injustices that's happening here like they're happening in other places. Dad, who's your favorite rapper? My favorite rapper? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, I would have to say Chuck D because I took a picture with him. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about the selfie with you, isn't it? So somebody asked what um, your favorite sports teams are and how do you feel about the NFL and Kaepernick? I think that uh, all the brothers in the NFL need to take a knee uh, in support of Kaepernick at the first game. Do you stand for the national anthem? Yeah, I'll stand for it. I'll I'm stand not for standing it. for it. I'll, I'll stand for it. Yeah, you I will. Pledge of Allegiance? Huh? You do the Pledge of Allegiance? With liberty and justice for some. Do you do that? Yeah. I'm not doing With that. With liberty and justice do for some. Do you feel, do you, does it frustrate you that I'm not going to stand for the national anthem? No, it doesn't bother me at all. You're an individual. You have a right. That's what America's about. Well, that is a First Amendment right, but baby. But what about as your daughter? Do you get? I have no. I I wouldn't care what nobody said about what you do because you are your you are an individual who's determined to take any action or make any statement that you're gonna make. So I've been you, doing that since you were three years old. What happened when I was three? Yeah, you were the lion leader. <laughs> Somebody, I think Mrs. Lee. I think went the, yeah, the lady that used Grandma to keep Lee. you. As, Grandma Lee had a lot to do with your mentality right now. Have you? Yeah. Did you meet your mom? Yeah, well, uh, she was pretty tough, too. Yeah. They, her brothers and okay. sisters were glad she got out of Louisiana because they thought there was something going to happen to her. So somebody asked, actually, like, they said that um, that I say that I'm born woke and they believe it, so they want to know what you did to ensure, you know, the whole thing about stay woke. They want to know what you did to ensure that your kids would would stay woke. Well, the first demonstration or March she was in, she was in a stroller. <laughs> That means uh, I didn't have a choice to be there. Yeah, and then uh, you didn't know much about apartheid, but you know you were there too. And then there was a picture that I put on on Facebook all the time when you were three years, uh, ten months old uh, at the 
the 20th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington. And you, we we were trying to change it because the, the people had filed a lawsuit to block, change their name of the street to honor Martin Luther King. And at that time, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday was not a national holiday. So we were demanding that that happen. And as a matter of fact, that November, November 2nd, 1984, Three, Ronald Reagan signed the Martin Luther King Jr. Holiday Bill, which was going to be the first, um, uh, the third Monday of, uh, I think, in 1986. So anyway, yeah, you be four going weeks, off on these tangents. Dad. Four weeks after that, the Washington State Supreme Court ruled that the city of Seattle had the authority to change the name of the street to Martin Luther King Jr. And you were at that 20th anniversary event, and we hope that Isn't you will that be. Isn't that the year that Stevie Wonder came out with Happy Birthday Song? I think it might have been the year before. He had a, a rally in uh, January of 81. That's when oh, we okay. first got started. Because I was interviewing Reverend Jesse Jackson on KYAC. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, well, since D.C. is so far, why don't you guys do something locally? And that's when we started organizing the change name of the street. When you um, think about uh, young people and the ways that they're engaging in resistance now, um, what are some of the things that you think young people can do um, to ensure that they are actively participating and working towards creating positive change? Well, I think that one of the things I would like to see uh, young folks, fraternity, sorority, mm-hmm. a neighborhood crowd or whatever, is to start looking and see what improvements can be made and start demanding change and inclusion. And what about, because there are a lot of young people who are doing some of that work. Exactly. Do you have any criticism or things that you no, want I, to make? No, I really, I really don't. I mean, whatever it takes. I mean, we, we African-Americans, the Central United States say we're in a sad state of affairs in this country. There's a lot do of positive think, things happening. Do you think happen. we should have reparations? Absolutely. So what's the, how do you? But the reparations, some people, oh, you're going to give us a check. No, what I want to have happen is to have a certain percentage of all the money go to not from no government agencies, mm-hmm. but be committed to coming to a foundation to be distributed to African-Americans in form of programs, education. Does that foundation contracts. exist or it has no, no, to be no, started? That's, that's what I'd like to see happen. Okay. When you, um, this question is a spinoff of that last one about millennials. There's a question about, uh, suggestions for young men who grew up without fathers um, who should they emulate like if they want to engage in activism um, if they want to be leaders in their community okay. and they and they this guy's saying if they grew up without fathers what did they do how did they do that I would see like in Seattle for example I don't know what it's like in other places like they have uh, 100 black men uh, I know that some young men here uh, they have, they go up to, to middle schools and welcome the kids to school and stuff. Yeah, that's a nice And Erwin uh, uh, Aaron, Aaron Chappelle uh, is one of the leaders in that. You have the breakfast group here with Ernie Dunson, Paul Mitchell and the guys, and Paul Jackson. And every year they have like a tie one on. The kids make their own ties. And they have Project Mister where they go and work in five different high schools trying to make sure that these young brothers stay on the straight and narrow. What if so, they don't have programs like that where they live? Well, I would suggest that the, the elders get together and, and, and get busy. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we have networks of, uh, like my man uh, uh, Rod Neal with the Kappas. Uh, he's putting on like uh, uh, things for kids in 12 different cities on the West Coast. So we do have some people doing some things. Uh, it's never enough. And I think that, you know, I think if people come up with some ideas, and once again, that goes back 
to tapping into your tax dollars to uplift uh, uh, your community. You just but, talked about uh, Rod Neal with the Kappas, um, and you didn't pledge anything. Why didn't you pledge anything, Dad? Well, I was, I never, I just wasn't a joiner. The closest thing I came <laughs> to join, the cl- closest thing I came to joining was the Panthers. We don't say, a, yeah. Affiliate, affiliate we don't, member. We don't, we don't, we don't say that we're, we're black, not Greek. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate <laughs> the, uh, the sorority. I appreciate the what they're doing too. But that's what we say. That's what we say. Yeah. Um, what about, so, okay. There was a um, question on here too that I, I like this one. This is nice. It says, for Papa Rye, what are the ingredients to raising a critical thinking, intelligent child? Obviously, he has one. That's what it says. I didn't make that up. What does it take? Yeah. What are the ingredients? Ingredients. First of all, I have a mother with a doctorate in education. <laughs> <laughs> then have a you father. Said, choose, choose your wife wisely. And have then have a daddy with a doctorate in agitation. Oh, OK. Look at you sounding like Reverend Jackson. That's good, Dad. Um, this one I like because I want you to tell the Nike story. What products did you boycott and what were the reasons for boycotting? Do you remember when you made me put black duct tape across the back of my brand new Jordans? Yep. Why? Well, I don't remember. Ha- I just had a problem. Mad. No, at the time, at the time. The Wasn't word, that what from Reverend Jackson? The, the, the word was, is that, you know, some uh, other African-American business trying to get a Nike and Brother Jordan were very helpful. Okay. No, you didn't. It wasn't just Jordans. You was you was black duct taping your Nikes, too. You didn't wear Jordans. <laughs> That was it when I was going yeah. into the fifth grade. I yeah, yeah. That was that was probably one of them Jackson inspired things. Yeah. But you don't remember. No, it I just can't made remember me that. put black duct tape across the I back mean, of my you know, brand new. You said Jordan. you were in the fifth grade. Come and, on, you know man. that mean you thirty something now. Do you remember how many? Yeah, years it scarred me. I can't. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. You're not really that sorry. No, it was for a purpose. Anything we did was for a purpose. And then you started the um, the Black Parents Association at its holy names. Well, because my daughter ran into problems trying to start a black student union, and the and the principal said we have a minority student you, council. But you started that before that. I was inspired by the Black Panthers. Do you want to tell the people who I'm named after? You're named after Angela Davis. It's pretty cool, Dad. I want to meet her. Um, I thought you met her. Already. Somebody asked. No, I haven't met her. I've never met her. I would love Angela to meet Davis. Where are you? She's where professor, are you, Doctor Davis? Um. What's the name? What's the name of your bullhorn you keep in your trunk? Somebody said, "Did you name your bullhorn?" Well, my bullhorn is is, is uh, loud talk. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's crazy. It okay. works too. This is a good question about your wisdom. What do you know now that you would want your late twenties or early thirties self to know regarding career and or life in general? I would say that I would have been more forceful in trying to get us a financial institution. And, you know, I harp on this all the time. A black bank? A That's a, a depository member of the Federal Reserve mm-hmm. with unlimited and unfettered access to money coming in from anywhere. You would have told your 20-year, 20-year-old, late 20s, early 30-year-old self about having a depository member of the Federal Reserve. What would you do as a late 20s, early 30-year-old person with that information the thing about it is um it would be very little i could have done then but there's a lot we can do now with that many members in congressional black caucus also i think that with the way things are going uh, i think that um uh, you know people talk about 
or how much money we spend. And uh, I've Our rec- buying power. Right. But I, I now here's here's the new uh, approach that I'm going to be using. And I talked to Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, who is a member of the House Financial Services Committee. And Congresswoman Waters is a ranking member. And I talked to him about since we're dealing with all these redlining American institutions, would uh, the Congressional Black Caucus consider uh, having a forum where they could invite representatives from the Bank of Tokyo, Hong Kong, Shanghai, yeah, Credit Suisse? Is what you would have told your 20 year old self? This no, that's what, that's what I say, what I'm saying now. No, but you're not answering these people's question. The question yeah. was, what piece of advice or what is the one thing you would really want your late 20-year-old or early 30-year-old self to know? To know? Yes. I would stay out of trouble, number one. And number two... You was in trouble? Study. No, I'm just saying, number two is that uh, you really have to de- decide on what you're going to do because some people look at other people and say, oh, that's easy to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I really would strongly suggest is whatever you endeavor, make sure that you do your research and you're adequately prepared and make sure you talk to other people and try to find a mentor uh, in, the, in the same area that you're going into or desire to go into. Thanks again to Talkspace for supporting this week's episode of On One. Going to traditional therapists is not for everybody. Sometimes you need to reach someone at your own convenience. And with Talkspace, you can. I've tried it. It works. Talkspace is the online therapy company that makes it easy to connect with a licensed therapist. Handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. Using Talkspace, you have the freedom to text, audio, and video message your therapist as much as you want. You can even do a live video chat. And all Talkspace therapists are fully licensed and go through a rigorous screening process in addition to thousands of hours of supervised professional training. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com backslash Angela. And as a special offer for our listeners, you can use coupon code Angela to get $30 off your first month and show your support for On One. That's code Angela and Talkspace.com backslash Angela Talkspace therapy for how we live today. Okay. So the other question is, um, what is the most important lesson that you wanted to teach your children? And now you got grand nephews and God kids mm. and stuff. What, what's the most important lesson that you wanted to teach your children or that you taught us? Well, hopefully you guys learn how to, Speak up, stand up, and show up. You think I know how to do those? Yeah, you've been doing it consistently for a few years. So now. then don't say hopefully. Okay, well, this. You said my grandnephew. No, I was saying all everybody. Like, okay, what is the okay. lesson you wanted your children? This is what happens when Eddie Rye answered questions. He answered what he wanted to answer. Okay, so now we answered this question about um, what influenced you to be active. You talked about being 12 and going to a protest, which I did not know that. They wouldn't let black people try on clothes downtown. What aspect or aspects of your character do you see in Angela? Uh, I would say uh, her activism, uh, her uh, motivation, uh, the seeking of the truth and standing up for the least of these. Thanks, Dad. Okay, this one I like. They say all politics is local, but in activism, do you also see great importance in activism for local things? Oh, absolutely. You've spent most of your career doing Absolutely. That. No, you have to stand up. You got to show up. 
That's what we can do. I mean, you know, and the other things, if you don't show up, then at least send an email to make a phone call. It's too easy to impact a political system if people just would get engaged. So Tracy asked this, which I appreciate, and I actually need this counseling too right now. It says, Popperai, racism is becoming blatantly overt all over the country again. Most of us have never had to deal with it on that level. And as a result, I think many of us are not equipped to deal with it strategically. I find myself enraged. What advice would you give us and how do we deal with it without losing our cool? Great question, Tracy. Um, first, when you when you encounter, just uh, first of all, start praying, number one. Then number two, depending on what the situation or scope look like, don't be afraid to call somebody for some help. Because we do have some crazy people running around here. If somebody drives, some folks drive by in a car, raising, you know, especially some bigots driving by in a car, making any kind of inflammatory remarks or any threats, then you get on that cell phone or put something on Facebook and say, come to wherever you are, that you got a problem. Okay. They said, what is one thing that they would be surprised to learn about me? Would they be surprised to learn about you? Yeah. That's probably a good secret to me, too. No. <laughs> You got something. You don't have no funny kid stories or something? Oh, yeah. Angela got one. Oh, her mother whooped her a couple of times. Yeah, I threatened to run away, but I had to go to the backyard since I couldn't cross the street. <laughs> that was the last whooping, though. That was six. But what about the whooping you gave me? Then you cried. Oh, everybody sucker. hated me at Christmas. Yeah, who giving whips a kids one on swat. Christmas? You just got a little swat on the butt. But who whips kids on Christmas? That's not Dad? a whipping. I, if you was a, been in my neighborhood, you, you got some whippings. No, now they'll call nine one one on your butt. Do you remember why you even whipped me? And I was only three. Shame on you, Dad. Shame on you. Yep, everybody in the house had to hate on me. They wouldn't talk to me the rest of Christmas Day. So they wanted, they really want to know this. Have Papa Rye speak on an embarrassing memory from Miss Rye's childhood. They want to know something embarrassing. I did lots of embarrassing things. Well, I remember one time I drove up and you was had that cussing blasting oh, off. I was listening to um, Naughty by Nature. Yeah. And, uh, Playing basketball outside, listening to Naughty by Nature. And uh, you cussed me out for listening to music cussing. with cussing in it. It's amazing. Oh, you should tell the Richard Pryor story. You want to tell the Richard Pryor story? Oh, no, no. Yeah, tell that story. I didn't know you were in the room. No, that's not true, Dad. Mom told you not to watch Richard Pryor with me in the room because I was two, and I was at an age where I was repeating everything. And what happened, Dad? Richard Pryor said to one, broke his effing face. And what did I say? And you said the same thing. (laughs) What what was it? And I said, please don't go to preschool saying that. (laughs) Okay. Is there anything else that you want to no, share with enough. the people? That's enough on that one. No, I don't mean about Richard Pryor. Anything else you want to share with them? What do you think? What is the thing that you're most encouraged about um, with the resistance movement, given Donald Trump's election? Are there what's the give me a silver lining? People need to be encouraged. Well, you know, everybody really has to commit themselves to where they are locally. Uh and then you got the Grand Dragon as Attorney General. So, you know, you're really going to be having some things like these cities are being picked off. Seattle's a sanctuary city. Chicago, it's, I think Chicago just filed a lawsuit. But we really have to get engaged locally. We really got to see 
what's happening with our students in the schools. We need to have people who have the time to go sit in the classrooms and see what's going on. And we also got to demand that these uh, our children have something constructive and creative. Now, I understand that they even talk about cutting off the free breakfast program. So, yeah. you know, so there are a whole bunch of things that we got to do. And I would suggest that people start organizing uh, like in the churches and find sponsors, people to have these these large uh, commercial kitchens start preparing and delivering to kids that, that are in need. Uh, that's one thing we can do. You're and, talking about internal facing community strategy. So where they right, try exactly. to attack us, we are stronger together. Exactly. Yeah. That's good. And I think the other thing we got to do is we also have to reach out to these professional athletes. And I know that you have a relationship with Michael Bennett. He's been speaking out against Shusha Charlena more than great on that. Yeah, I got killed in front of her kids. Uh, Two cops and this woman. Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights Camp. It'd be nice if he can get a contract. But the Know Your Rights Camp is training up young black boys and on how to interface with the police so that they can protect their lives and they understand what their rights are when they do engage with police officers. Well, you spoke at an event like that at First Amy Church. But this, this I'm talking about Colin, Ka- you said professional athlete. Yeah, so yeah, Colin Kaepernick's yeah. Know Your Rights Camp is a good one. I agree. And I think Richard Sherman is talking about what was he just doing? Something with um, organizing for their pay, right? NFL pay. Wasn't he just doing that? I don't know what people are talking about doing. I I, I, I didn't. I'm not up on that yet. They've oh, been okay. talking about Richard Sherman doing some other things, but anytime a brother be outspoken, there's always somebody has a problem with it. And sounds brilliant, even though they try to call him a thug. That's why I bought his jersey a few years ago. Remember that? Oh yeah. Got a communications degree from Stanford, but he's a thug. Okay. Looks like the two Desert Storm brothers at the SeaTac Airport, retired law enforcement officers, two tours of duty in Desert Storm, and white lady called the brother a thug and a criminal. That's what they see when they look at us. That's right. Okay, that's well, Dad. We, I would be raising hell at the board, port commission meeting today about that, but I'm doing here with my well, favorite I'm host. Glad, I'm glad that you opted to make time available, even with my strep throat. That's why I sound like I'm thick-throated, everybody. But, um, okay. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate this moment to spend with my dad. You're going to be on doing Q&A with Papa Rye at least once a month. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> This moment in blackness is from a speech Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered in Cleveland, Ohio in 1967. He boldly proclaims, I'm black and I'm beautiful. He urges us to support one another in ways that we need to be reminded. Our own freedom is tied up in how we see each other and and in how we see ourselves. Our own freedom is tied up in how we support each other. Until next time, stay read up, stay prayed up. And resist, y'all. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to a group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No. Kennesonian or Johnsonian civil rights bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation.
Don't let anybody take your manhood. Be proud of our heritage. As somebody said earlier tonight, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black, ugly, and evil. Look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading and low and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high, and clean. But I want to get the language right tonight. I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out, Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful. (laughs) 